Welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and Managing Partner of Cordell and Cordell. We continue this podcast twice each week, information for guys before, during, and after divorce, and all things regarding family law. If you have not yet subscribed, do so. You can go to iTunes in the podcast. You'll get notified every time we drop a podcast. Continue to follow us on social media of importance today. Uh, and every month, once a month, we'll have a virtual town hall where you can join on live with a panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys, ask questions and get answers live. Uh, today's version later on is uh, Divorce School for Men. You can find it recorded or join live uh, on YouTube channel that we have. It's loaded with information. So if you miss a virtual town hall, you can certainly go watch it. But if you wanna ask questions and get answers right then and right there, you have to register and go to CordellCordell.com. So again, keep in mind, educational, informational today, not legal advice, as always. Love to have a consultation with you, and that's the only place that we can give uh, legal advice. You can do that by calling 866-DADS-LAW or going to the web, cordellcordell.com. All right, joined by Andy up in Minnesota today. Welcome. Good morning. How are you today? Great, thanks. Let's talk about something that I think a lot of guys, one, they don't understand because um, it doesn't happen uh, as frequently as you know regular litigation. That is appealing a decision that you don't agree with. And a lot of people aren't advised of their rights to appeal necessarily. They don't understand the process. And oftentimes it's difficult. We'll talk a little bit about that. And you know, the chances of success may or may not be very strong. Uh, but let's talk about an appeal you know, in family law, what is that? What do they mean by that? An appeal is an opportunity for either party. So either party has the opportunity, or both parties actually, can request a court to review the decision of the lower court. So typically in most states, there's a court of appeals, which is above the trial court, and then there's a Supreme Court. Most states, there's some states that don't, I know Georgia, for instance, does not, but most states have a court of appeals where everything is, you can appeal any case you want. It's funny you mentioned Georgia. When I first started practicing in Georgia many years ago, um, I opened our office there and there was no automatic right to appeal. And judges had a lot of power. You know, I often say in these, in, in seminars or town halls or podcasts that judges are derailed by emotion. And that means sometimes they don't follow the law. And, and that's okay. And then typically in state, many states, then you could just go and appeal it and reverse the judge's decision. We'll talk about that. But Georgia at the time didn't. And you had to actually seek application at the Supreme Court level. And they only take, you know, one less than 1% of cases. And so now I think that's been reversed, thankfully, gives people a little bit more fundamental um, trust in the system. But, you know, it's really interesting, but that begs the question of, okay, so why do I want to appeal? What, why would I even want to consider doing that? An appeal, there, there's a different instances where you can use an appeal. If, if you did not like your result and that you believe that the court factually got it wrong, there's always an ability to appeal. And, and those are difficult to prevail on because what the court would be looking at is, was there an abuse of discretion, which isn't did the court get it wrong is did the court have a reasonable basis to get to the result that they did? Yeah. The other, the other type of appeal would be a de novo review. That's where an application of a law. And, and I think that actually is a, a more likely chance of success. For instance, you know, like how would a statute of limitations apply? That would be a question of law or 
how would a specific statute in your state apply? That would be a, a, a very good reason to appeal. A third reason, and some states have this, I know Minnesota, for instance, does, is that there is a requirement that you go to mediation after you do an appeal. So I know Minnesota, I know Utah has that. So for instance, you can say, well, I don't really like the decision, but if I appeal it, then I'm, I have to go to mediation. And a lot of times, just to avoid expense, the parties will go to mediation and you're able to come to a settlement. So that's an excellent reason to do an appeal if you don't think you're going to prevail, if your state has a mediation program, or even if you yeah. do. Uh, I, I have had some success in settling cases at that in that fashion because nobody really wants to go with an appeal because an appeal can be an expensive proposition. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, gives I, people an opportunity to, to do something short of actually having an argument in front of a court of appeals. Right. I mean, you mentioned the kind of the standards, you know, against the weight of the evidence, uh, misapplication of the law or abuse of discretion. And I can think of, you know, I've been practicing for 28 years, almost, uh, well, almost 29. Uh, And I think in all the appeals I've done, I've done quite a few. I think one uh, was victorious on against the weight of the evidence. And it's so difficult because from a court of appeals standpoint, they really look favorably upon and the judges, you know, weighing the evidence because they're the trier of fact in the courtroom. And so they give every deference to the judge. And I've only won once. The rest have been a misapplication of law or abuse of discretion. And that's typically where, you know, you have your best chances of success, if you call it that, uh, because then that's why you, if you're sitting through a trial and you hear, you know, objections to hearsay and evidence, and those are preservation of things for appeal. And, and you know, not only that, but trying to get things uh, corrected at the trial level. But sometimes judges just get it wrong. Relocation, applying child support incorrectly, adding expenses or overnight adjustments. You know, there are things they just don't get right. Um, where you get a kind of against the weight of the evidence, maybe you're getting into spousal support. Maybe the, the evidence didn't support a big number on spousal support. So there are those areas, and those are the distinct areas you're going to want to talk to a lawyer about, is what happened at your trial level, and let's talk about what your best chances of success are. So you know, as you think through it, it gets really complicated, but maybe we can walk through how does the appeal work, when does it start, you know, and maybe um, how long does it last? An appeal would typically start, the trial court would issue a decision, and then one party or the court would send out what's called a notice of filing of order, which starts a timeline to do an appeal. And that timeline is going to be set by rule. Usually there is a period of time that will range anywhere from 20 to 60 days in which to do an appeal. That is what we call jurisdictional. So if you are late on that particular filing a notice of appeal, your appeal will be dismissed doesn't matter why you were late, it, it, it'll simply be dismissed. There's options, also something to talk to an attorney about is to do a post-trial motion. Mm-hmm. The post-trial motion is, is maybe the judge in a maintenance calculation forgot to uh, do net income. One of the results of a appeal would be that they would remand it back to the trial court for them to correct whatever errors. If there's a blatant error, sometimes you can file a motion and ask the court to correct their error on their own, which may save costs and, and may get you the same result. There are timelines on that which tolls the appeal period. By tolling means stop. 
So whatever that time period, then that may be something that you wish to do a motion for new trial, motion for amended findings. Uh, those are those are oftentimes, even if there isn't a big error or something that might be helpful to help preserve the record to make things go better on appeal. And it's something you may even want to do if you don't want to appeal the case, something you should talk to an attorney about. After the notice of appeal is filed, typically then, depending on the state, you'd file a statement of the case, which basically outlines the issues. You'd order a transcript. Transcript then would come back. And the transcript is of the record of what happened at the trial court level. And you are stuck with that record. So you don't get to add new information. So you have that record. Then after the, the transcript comes back, usually there's a briefing schedule that would be set. So the appellant, that would be the person that would be appealing, would have a certain period of time to, to write it write a brief, whatever that might be. That's usually set by state state rule. Then the other party then would have a period to respond to that. And then the appellant would have an opportunity to reply. There's always also cross appeals, which can happen in appeal. So if one party appeals it and you're defending the appeal, you could say, well, I want to raise this issue. That, you know, that, that could also be interjected into the next. Judges, then the courts will have an option of doing oral argument. Some states will do oral argument on most everything. An oral argument is an opportunity really to have a discussion with the three, judge, three judges at the court of appeal level. Usually it's a three judge panel about the why you think the court of appeals should do what you want them to do. And the results really from a court of appeals could be straight reversal. And that really doesn't happen very often. Straight reversal would be in an instance like, does the statute of limitations apply? Because it's, a, it's, a, it's an up or down answer. Most cases aren't that way. So most of the time what would happen is it would be a reverse and remand. And remand means it goes back to the trial court where the court would say, here are the errors. Or it could be simply affirmed. Or it could be reversed in part, affirmed in part. There could be a whole bunch of permutations of that. The process usually from beginning to end takes a year or more. Uh, putting together the briefs, there's you know specific rules on how that's done. If you were to say, let's say that at, at the end of the Court of Appeals, then you off, often have an option to request the Supreme Court to hear a case, but the Supreme Court generally of your state will only hear a very small percentage of cases, but there's a petition that you can make a request for that, and then the Supreme Court will announce whether they would hear a case. I know in, in, like, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, they probably hear about where I'm licensed, probably about two to five percent of total appeals. That's a very, very minor amount. So it's pretty unlikely that your case would proceed beyond the court of appeals level. Yeah, I want to say, you know, you think about uh, the process. It is, it is long, and COVID probably made it even longer. And you know, I think if you're a guy listening out there, you mentioned uh, oral argument. I am a big fan of it. I've never submitted my uh, case on the briefs. That is an option to waive oral argument. I want that opportunity. Uh, I want to make sure I've got the judge's ears. And typically, it's a three-panel judge uh, appeal, and I want them to ask me and fire away. I want you know that's my job is to convince you know two of those three that why I'm appealing. Uh, is has merit and it should be reversed or it should be remanded with instructions or remanded for a new trial. 
Uh, I'm just a big fan. I, I've never waived it. I love oral argument. Uh, give me 15 minutes to convince someone and I'm going to do my best. And uh, I think that's huge. So if you're a guy listening and your attorney is saying, hey, let's, I think we should submit it on the brief, you better have a darn good reason to do it. And that's something to really talk through. Um, you're spending a lot of money and uh, sometimes the, sp- the written word isn't as good as a spoken word. You know, it's, it's like, you know, email. I'm not a big fan of email. I would agree with that, but there are some states that won't give you the option. Yeah, right. There are. And so you just take it on the brief. And yeah, I think right. it's so huge. Some right. states that'll say, here, you just have to, you have to submit it on written argument. But yes, I do agree that our oral argument is helpful, really, and it's an opportunity beyond the court usually will have questions. Yeah. So they're going to be asking questions of why you're doing something. And the other thing is, is that maybe... Judge A disagrees with Judge C, and you can help facilitate the discussion to maybe convince Judge C to go along with Judge A. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been in oral arguments where um, I had uh, 15 minutes. I took 12, and then three for rebuttal, and I got my my name out. I said, you know, good morning. I'm Scott Trump. Boom! Here comes the questions, and uh, the entire time I didn't get through any of the outline that I intended to because I was peppered with questions by all three judges and they clearly disagreed with each other. And that was kind of the point was I was, here I am trying, as you suggest, trying to convince at least two to, to join in unison here. And it's really interesting. Some of them are very quiet and that makes me worry when I get no questions because I'm wondering, you know, am I a winner or a loser? You, know, you never know. But yeah, it's, it's uh, and a client, I encourage clients to attend. I want them to see the process. I want them to trust the process and uh, hear the judge's thoughts and where they're coming from. But it is a very restrictive review. I have many clients that say, hey, I've got this evidence of my trial, my trial lawyer, because sometimes we're not the trial lawyer. We've, I've had clients come to me and say, hey, here's what was done, appeal it, okay. And so they want to introduce new evidence. You can't do it. it you're, you're constrained to the record, right? You're constrained to the record that's made. Yeah. And the record is imperfect. I always analogize it for my stupid sports analogy to NFL instant replay review. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have the goal line fumble and they never have the good angle, if you don't have the good angle in your record, they're going to probably stay with the call on the field, so to speak. Right. So that, that's the really difficult part and why it's important to have a good trial lawyer is to preserve the record because there's very little that you can do with the record. The other thing, is, is that just because there is an appeal doesn't mean that the order is stayed. So kind of a common misconception that I hear is, is, well, do I have to follow the order below if it's on appeal? Unless the Court of Appeals is granted the ability to stay the judgment. And they're only really going to do that for financial judgment. So if I owe somebody a retirement, a quadro or something of that nature, that was appeal on that, they would say that because once the money's gone, it's not coming back. But child support or spousal maintenance payments or custody uh, decrees or parenting time schedules, those things are likely not to be stayed and are need to be followed. So concurrently, a lot of times going on with an appeal is one party can, there could be contempt motions, there can be motions to modify support, there could be motions to modify uh, parenting time while the appeal is ongoing because all the Court of Appeals is doing is reviewing the decision and the decision stands until the Court of Appeals says otherwise or if you've received permission to have some sort of stay, which happens 
something you need to ask for if it's a, it's a financial judgment. But I think it's yeah. Rule 68 usually governs that. You know, when, if we talk about appeals and we're from final orders, uh, you know, I'm thinking, and many I know are listening, thinking, okay, I have to get through my trial and then I get an appeal. And there are instances, at least here in Missouri, where we can appeal in the middle of the case. Uh, there are some technical requirements being, you know, an interlocutory order or something, a final judgment. Uh, but we can file writs to force a judge to do something, to stop a judge from doing something. Uh, for example, I've had a temporary order entered for support, and I got the judge to enter an order that said that there's no good cause to delay an appeal because I wanted to appeal his order right then and there. Typically, you can't. And so you can. There are ways in the middle of your divorce, if it's a substantial effect on the on the case, and it could be whatever. It may be the, the mom is allowed to move outside of the state, or you know, you kind of you got to make sure you take advantage of your rights to file appeal immediately. And typically, at least in Missouri, if I'm filing a writ, a writ of mandamus, uh, I could get that heard within 30 to 45 days. Uh, court's going to enter an order pretty quickly and then set schedule a very fast briefing schedule. And so it's worth a conversation. I'm curious about Minnesota. It's worth a conversation with your attorney whether or not there are certain um, – parts along the way that you may want to think about an appeal and it may not but what's minnesota provide you can do interlocutory appeals where you could appeal a specific issue if there is a it's going to impact the case it, mm -hmm. maybe it would be like an evidentiary issue you know some piece of evidence being admitted i think that's pretty rare you have the ability mm -hmm. to do writs like writ of mandamus mm -hmm. if you believe that a decision on a temporary basis was so wrong that the court would change it or have the ability to do so. I, I think the chances of success on those are difficult, but you have to think about it from more than that perspective, because if you have a trial judge who's a little bit rogue or who likes to do things his or her way, a writ of mandamus sometimes is a, is a useful tool to remind them that they are not the lone ranger out there. Right. Somebody looking, looking over their shoulder and also shows the judge that you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. The good example, in kind of that I've done in, in the past is we had a prenuptial agreement uh, that uh, we filed a an action to determine its validity or invalidity, and uh, the court didn't find it to be valid, so we took an immediate appeal. Um, and then the reverse could be true. If they found it to be valid, the other side could have appealed because you don't want to go all the way down this trial path only to spend all this money to determine that they were operating under an assumption that was incorrect. So yeah, I think it's worth a conversation. I, I agree with you. Appeals in general have a very small chance of success just because the, vol the volume that of the number of appeals. But you know, the ones that I've done, um, I felt very strongly about, of course, we're not going to do it just for the point of doing it or recommend doing that. That's not something we do, but I, I enjoy them because I think it is, you suggest, it's about telling the judge that we're not going to just sit down. I've had judges look at me and saying, well, go appeal me if you want. Okay, we will. And we'll win. And I remember telling a judge one time, he said, go appeal me. I said, okay. And then when I win, I'm going to hand deliver the judgment. And I did. And we won. And uh, he thought I was joking and I was not joking. You know, it's, he's wasted everyone's time and, you know, they do go rogue and I get it. It's a tough job. And sometimes they are derailed by emotion. They're, you know, they're not happy with clients and, uh, and I get it. But the point is, is that you got to find a lawyer that's going to fight and, and willing to go and take an appeal and step on toes if you need to. I think they get rogue rage. 
mm -hmm. a joke, especially if they don't necessarily have a great connection with, with you. They yeah. sometimes take that out. They're just, they're regular people. Yeah. Right. But not if, this isn't personal, but you know, for me, it's, you know, I don't like losing. And so appeal is kind of the avenue I want to take. The one other comment that I had on it, the subject matter jurisdiction is another issue that is worth yeah. appealing early in the case. <laughs> and, and what subject matter jurisdiction is, is a, is a specific, does the court have the ability to, to entertain a specific subject matter? Mm -hmm. And that comes up a lot in our cases in inter-jurisdictional custody disputes. Yeah. And yeah, that's a big one. And the problem is if you go all the way through the case, and you're done, and then someone appeals it and said the case should have been in Missouri as opposed to Minnesota, and the Court of Appeals agrees, mm -hmm. all of your work is for naught. Yeah. Because a Minnesota judgment in that instance would be null and void. So that's another instance I, I think that, that, that's a, a really useful way to think of appeals early in the case that are going to be issues that we confront on a regular basis because there's yeah. you know, one parent lives in Minnesota with the child and one parent lives in New York. And we have to think about the application and that that is an issue that needs to be resolved before you proceed. Yeah, agreed. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. I love it. I love appellate work. Um, I'm fascinated by it because it, it's, uh, you know, digging into the law and understanding it and, and trying to convince a three panel or even bigger you know, I've been to the Supreme Court of Missouri and on a grandparents' rights case, and, and I think that was unique and fun. Uh, and uh, so I think, you know, for guys listening out there, I think this is a great topic. So thanks for presenting to us, Andy. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, topics just like this, uh, bringing information uh, regarding everything before, during, and after divorce and something that's relevant to everyone, especially if you go through this process, appeal is going to be a consideration for you. So certainly a great topic. So tune into the podcast, uh, topics just like this twice every week. All of our podcasts you can find on iTunes. You can go to the YouTube channel. That's the Cordell and Cordell YouTube channel. You're going to find all of this as well as our virtual town halls dating back to the beginning of the pandemic uh, last year, probably around March of 2020. Uh, find a lot of information. I encourage you to, to register for one of our future virtual town halls. I think you'll find that as informative and useful because you get to ask questions and interact with the panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys for about an hour. So until next time, have a great week. <music>